This podcast is brought to you by Aldis International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Bjorn Austrak. Bjorn is the Senior Vice President and Head of AI Acceleration at Truist. Bjorn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Bjorn, let's start with yourself, please, if we could. Give us an overview of your journey in technology, from where you got started, some of the roles you've held along the way, and take us up to today as the Senior VP and Head of AI Acceleration at Truist. So my journey in my career actually started many moons ago in Austria, and not at all in technology. I was a conference interpreter and translator. So if you've ever seen a United Nations conference, and you see those folks up in the booth with headsets on that, that speak at the same time as they listen in a foreign language and simultaneously translate, interpret the content, that was my first professional career. And somewhat jokingly, I say, today I still have the same job, except I translate between data scientists and executives, or between technologists and executives, who also sometimes speak different languages and have wildly different cultures. So I started my career in helping people understand each other across language and cultural boundaries. And then I moved to the United States in the early 90s, spent a lot of time in the translation and localization fields, back then CDs and websites and things like that. Then transitioned into speech recognition. So I did AI before it was called AI, speech recognition and call center automation in the early 2000s. And then after completing a weekend MBA at Berkeley, I moved into the consulting field and then wound up at IBM Global Services just at the time when Watson was launched more broadly in the United States and became part of the early team of Watson running the North American consulting team in the, what I call the Wild West days of Watson, lots of evangelizing, lots of explaining people, innovating, figuring out if something is a good use case for the Watson capabilities. And then ultimately transitioned to the banking side more fully when I joined Wells Fargo, and then now Truist in a AI role more broadly. So building, finding AI opportunities, building AI solutions, identifying priorities for projects, seeing if it makes sense to do it with AI or should it be done with RPA, and then helping folks execute. And in a highly regulated industry like banking, it's of course a lot more than just building a model because you have to be very careful and conscious of the strictures that make a ton of sense, right? We're dealing with people's money's livelihoods. So we wanna make sure that we are absolutely precise in our models. We make sure we're fair, unbiased, We've made them robust adversarially and so on and so forth. So my team at Truist today helps across lines of business and across functions, helps folks identify opportunities for AI, prioritize them, and then pitch in where either skill or capability or capacity are not sufficient to execute at speed. My team can help with any number of services, including the design thinking, workshopping, early stage innovation ideation, all the way to to data exploration, to model building, and ultimately operationalization. So that's a kind of a quick lightning tour of my path to where I, I wound up today. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing, Bjorn, and, and it certainly does explain your journey. You already gave some examples of what you and your team does for Truist, but I want to take a step back just to set the stage for people listening. 
who are maybe not familiar with Truist as a business. So can you please tell us who are Truist, what's the mission of the organization, then we can talk about how prevalent the role of AI acceleration is across the organization. Sure. And so Truist is an entity that arose from a merger of equals, as it's known, and those two equals were BB&T and SunTrust. So we are now by assets the seventh largest bank in the United States. And we are predominantly from a retail footprint point of view, we're still more well-known or more visible, so to speak, in the mid-Atlantic, South Atlantic region, Charlotte, Atlanta, and thereabouts, where the two legacy institutions had the biggest retail footprint. We have a national business in the corporate investment bank. We have a very large insurance business, so we're a multi-line bank, also with a very strong insurance offering full-service bank, and we also have some international components to our business. We have a large retail branch footprint, and increasingly, as we go to market more on the, the new brand Truist, more people will recognize the brand and recognize our purpose, mission, and values. And uh, Truist is a little bit different, I would say, from other banks in the sense that it is very purpose-driven, and we aim to inspire and build better lives and communities, and we center a lot of our activities around acts of care and caring for our communities and simply having a little bit of a different presence and interaction, mode of interaction with our clients and teammates. And that manifests in a number of different ways. As an example, recently we launched a product called Truist One, which addresses the need of certain communities and certain customers for a product that doesn't immediately penalize you for overdrafts and provides flexibility in the in a checking and savings product that that formerly was only present in different styles of short-term credit products. And we do try to instill our purpose, mission, and values really in everything we do. And I personally have worked at 12 different institutions, both academic and commercial. And I can say with some certainty that the level to which we try to live our purpose is much more prominent than in many other places I've worked at in, in companies, both big and small. Thank you for that. I, I want to spend a bit more time now understanding the primary responsibilities for you and your team. Your role is obviously head of AI acceleration, which could have a broad remit, but could you talk to us about some of the main things that you and your group are focused on and how that breaks down into a typical day-to-day -day for the team? Yeah, uh, great question. So head of AI acceleration means that we are a deeply federated organization. We have lines of businesses, we have analytics teams that are very close to their line of business or function, and they're doing a great job at providing analytic services, and many of them are building AI ML models today. So my team is designed to accelerate and help, and that's a holistic sense of, in a holistic sense of the word. So if you look at what makes AI successful at the enterprise scale, you can look, you can slice it by technology stack and layers and so on and so forth. I'll just give you a few elements of that. And that starts with having a robust policy and procedure so that you can do, again, we're highly regulated. So we have to make sure we follow all the right steps and building models. So ensuring that we have an enterprise-wide holistic AIML policy and procedure so that everybody knows what is expected, right? And when building AIML solutions, what are appropriate broadly categories of use cases, what are the strictures and considerations to ensure that we produce excellent AI ML model quality, right? That is robust models that are not biased, that are fair, that are providing equitable outcomes, that are explainable and interpretable, that are inspectable, and that ultimately can also be explained to a broad set of different stakeholders. 
regulators, other data scientists, and our clients, as the recent AI Bill of Rights that came from the White House makes a very good point that it shouldn't just be technical experts that are that we inform and help understand what we're doing. It should be pretty much anybody who's impacted by our work. And that will ultimately, I'm sure, be translated into actual rules and regulations. So working on provi providing a solid foundation of policy was a big focus of my team since I joined the company. Another layer has to do with the data that we feed into the model building process. So one another important initiative was around synthetic data. Synthetic data, if you're not familiar with the concept, you can think of it as a deep fake copy of your data or a tunable deep fake copy. So that means that it's not just masking the names and account numbers or birth dates out of your database. It means making whole new sets of customers and transactions and so on that never actually happened or existed but in aggregate, mathematically, are very similar or identical to your source data, where appropriate. Now you're going to have a data set of a million credit card transactions that never happened. If that data set, for some reason, fell into the wrong hands, nothing could be reconstructed, no personally identifiable information, no customer proprietary information could leak because the data set is made up. Now, such synthetic data can also be very advantageous when building, for example, fraud models. Because in AIML, when you build a fraud model, you often have the imbalanced class problem, meaning of 100% of transactions, 99.8% are legitimate. So now the machine has a very small percentage of fraudulent transactions to learn from, which leads to sometimes underperforming models. By rebalancing the training data, you can actually make the model better. With a synthetic data generator, you can also make model data, training data faster, meaning you can produce data without having to wait for a long time to collect real life interactions or production data, you can get going on the modeling piece sooner. And it has a number of other advantages that will ultimately help foster innovation more broadly with outside parties, academic, commercial parties, accelerate POCs and do things like that. So another core capability that we were involved in is looking at a number of different synthetic data vendors and then actually testing them against our own data and making sure that claims would hold up and that we can have comfort that the synthetic data generated by these machines would satisfy our cyber risk, legal compliance, and other requirements. So an another foundational accelerating capability that would span a number of different teams to help with implementing and scaling AI across the organization. We also started doing a number of things to bring the community of federated practitioners closer together. For example, we organized an NLP summit inside the organization that had, for the first time at the time last October, brought together some 60, both consumers of NLP, natural language processing, as well as practitioners to share demands and capabilities, and then led to the creation of an internal NLP repository that now developers can self-serve from and say, I need some sentiment detection algorithm or I need some thing that is excellent at det detecting unusual patterns, let's say in a big, large amount of text, we now have a repository that people can go to and say, hey, somebody already coded that for me, who works at Truist is vetted, it's approved. I can just lift and shift that code and get a running started building my own model. So that's another example of a foundational capability. We also supply a lot of internal, I would call them evangelization, educational services. when. A line of business has a question, can I do this with AI? What can I do with AI? What's the difference between AI ML 
RPA, intelligent automation. We do participate in meetings and walk through in a bespoke fashion, typically walk through the teams and answer questions. And that often leads then to design thinking workshops and ideation workshops to find additional opportunities, qualify and prioritize existing opportunities. And just generally, in, in a sense of teaching them how to fish, giving them frameworks of which we have several that helps them self-generate and self-score opportunities so they can, in a more scalable fashion, create rosters of innovation funnel inputs and then work them through either with their own teams or with our team. So a lot of accelerating, these levels of accelerating capabilities are good for the broader analytics community and more broadly for all lines of businesses, existing AML teams. And then in a bespoke buffet style fashion, uh, give teams that don't have execution capability a chance to work on AI and give teams that have a large analytics team equally an opportunity to fill, maybe fill certain gaps when they have, when they are tapped out on capacity, they need some specialist knowledge on a particular NLP technique, or they need help with some of the business side of the house, which is not trivial to what's the value, what's the dollarizable value of an AI idea. If I have 10 in a portfolio, which one should I work on first? How do I structure things into meaningful grids, two by twos, frameworks, magic quadrants to help me build a cohesive roadmap within my team across teams that, that makes sense. And so it doesn't become a bunch of isolated science experiments, but you can sequence them logically. They work and build on each other and they make sense from a business returns point of view as well. And so. That, those are some examples where we, again, you can think of it as like an internal, almost like a captive consultancy that can also execute, that can help you with the early stage innovation pipeline, ideation framing, MVP, also building and ultimately also operationalizing, all the while taking into account the very unique environment that banking AI ML lives in and that more broadly enterprise AI lives in, where I, I like to say it's 5% model, 95% everything else. So if you have a highly performing model, good on you, important, like a race car engine, you can't win the race without it. It's an elegant piece of engineering and no doubt it can be differentiator, but it's just 5% of the solution. Just like in racing, you would also need a driver and a pit crew and gas and a windshield and things like that. So taking into account the deployability of the model, the context, the political context of the model, the valuation, the funding, the provability of the benefits and things like that. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. So that's it's quite a broad overview of the use cases for AI across through us and the impact they can have to various business units. That means that the team that you oversee has got to be able to put their hand to different projects and, and be comfortable with shifting priorities, shifting project focus. Can you describe what the current makeup of the team is and mm -hmm. how you've gone about not just managing and mentoring, but having them be so versatile in the workload and the projects. Yeah, and it's hugely important, right? So so I think that anybody who works in AI or any kind of environment that is resource constrained will empathize with the fact that resource attraction and retention are 
critical, hugely important, very difficult in AI right now. It's easy to get outbid by some of the large tech players, although recently we've seen some cooling there and some layoffs, but broadly the unemployment rate among data scientists is not very high, as we know. So how do you attract and retain? I have the luxury that, that my team does interesting stuff and at great clip, right? So one of the big problems, I think, for large enterprise AI, it can take 9, 12, 18 months from idea to running model due to dependencies and downstream systems, due to validation needs, regulatory restrictions, and so on. It's important to consider the holistic environment and framing, just like you want to holistically frame a product, you want to holistically frame the employee experience and look at, I like to look at it as a T-shaped resume, and I'm trying to build T-shaped resumes with my team. That means you'll have a broad T crossbar that is a number of skills that I expect people, depending on seniority, to be good at. Executive communication and presentation techniques and business thinking, framing, things like that. And then you'll have a vertical bar that is your depth. So you may be leading data scientists who really understands the math or you may be more strong in the the business value and, and storytelling that is also a perfectly viable depth to have where you can look at a business problem and explain it in plain English in an executive fashion very quickly, make an elevator pitch quickly, a hook, a storyline quickly. That is not easy and can be a specialization. However, in my entire team, I always encourage people, depending on their, if they're data scientists or AI innovation leaders alike, to constantly exercise the broader, the cross, the horizontal T-bar and to challenge data scientists to say, now tell me what the size of the prize is. I just did this, you know, as a matter of this morning, I'll have a, a Shark Tank style lightning round and go, just explain it to me uh, as if I was 12 in plain English, whose life is going to get better by how much and how do you know that? And that is not easy, right? So even answering that question comprehensively in a punchy way that would be memorable and credible, but also accessible in a sense that I don't have to have a data science master's degree to understand your value prop, that is not trivial and you have to practice it if you're not doing it day in, day out. So that's, I think one of the attractions of my team is we get to do, we get to have a mixed role. So it's almost a little bit salesy when you go in and find in a line of business, find opportunity. So you're wearing a, almost like a sales hat or consulting hat when you're fashioning and framing the problem and mapping it from business language to data science language, you obviously can exercise your technical muscles, but also your entrepreneurial muscles. And overall, it is a very entrepreneurial environment. It's a lot about finding out if what is requested is indeed what is required, finding out what, what else, maybe there's some unknowable unknowns that the customer, our internal customer doesn't know, some things they don't know they need, but we should coach them because it is indeed a better outcome for everybody if we guide them in a certain direction. Also, frankly, something that a skill that is difficult to develop is the art of saying no and getting to no is the second best answer. Because now I know at least this is not a good opportunity for AI. AI models cost a lot of money to build. Maybe the commensurate benefit is not very high or a one-time benefit. And I should get to know more quickly because I can build something, let's say, in an RPA solution that addresses 80% of the problem and I can do it in six weeks. And so now no AI, but here, yes, go do something else. One particular example from previous example, previous employer, both the employer and the, my, my then employer and the end ultimate end customer wanted the answer to be AI. And after six weeks of digging around, we basically came back and said, no, 
the answer semi-jokingly is beer, meaning this team should, this team and this other team should have an offsite because the problem is organizational change management, not technology. So by, by enabling these two teams to build trust and communicate better, we can obviate the problem. We should not graft the technical bandaid on top of the problem, but fix the, the root cause. So helping people think as if we were a little startup inside a large organization, working on things that matter, that have good payoff, positioning ourselves, positioning our work, positioning our team, creating a value proposition for our team. We did that as in a different context. We said, why would you want to work here? So how would you pitch us to an internal or external candidate? And then understanding that it matters, that you have impact, you have clarity of impact, you have clarity of size of the prize, how you're going to get there, what the objections are, what your close plan is, what your deployment plan is ultimately. So some of the very pragmatic parts of AI, I think, are very attractive. And it is not a great place. Our team is not a great place if you prefer to do just extremely advanced data science problems all day, every day. In, in a kind of a locked room, right? So if you're just fascinated by the super advanced math and you want to present only at the NURIPS and the other leading conferences of the world about the incredible new innovation and disruptive discovery you've made, our team probably not a great fit. If you on like- the, on, on the flip side of that, yeah, yeah, you were about to say, which is how I like to close off all of our interviews is when you're speaking to candidates about the work, the environment, the mission, given what you've just told us, it's so unique and multifaceted. But when you're speaking to these candidates about, look, you're interested in X, this is why you should join Truist. What is it that you tell them about the work, the, the impact that gets candidates excited enough to join Truist over some of the other great opportunities available to them? Yeah, you will become CrossFit and not to steal the brand of CrossFit, but we will cross train here all the time. And I'm pretty good at finding the parts that hurt a little bit, that, that make you maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Pushing out of the comfort zone and cross-training and parts that where you can have the most growth opportunity is the place, is what I can do within the, you know, of course, within the strictures of the fact that we are a bank and we're doing AI. But as I mentioned, the idea of good storytelling, right? good executive storytelling is in and of itself very difficult. And I think we all have seen presentations. We've seen probably many more presentations where you go like, eh, that was like another PowerPoint slideshow or a pitch or whatever that seemed canned. And then every once in a while, you come across a presentation, you go, that was a really good presentation. And you may not be able to say why, but it just resonated and it had a good story arc and things like that. And we very actively exercise those muscles within the team so that holistically as an AI product owner, you're thinking well beyond the 5% model and the accuracy. Right? Data scientists care a lot about ROC and other performance metrics of models. Business people care a lot about ROI and impact and branding and differentiation capability and things like that. And I want people to become comfortable and you're never going to be perfectly, obviously it's a T-shape shape for a reason. It's not a square, right? Because you will have depth and you'll have breadth and you will, it will be unequal and that's totally fine, right? Specialization is key. But if you want a cross-training environment where you can build those skills, you can build other skills, you can have entrepreneurial and a sense of entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship, and that often manifests as well in like, people, I worked in a very tiny startup many years ago, and I became familiar with the mirror department. And the mirror department manifested in the following way. I asked the then VP of sales where, the, where I could get the NDA form for a prospective new customer. 
And he said, walk by a mirror and you'll meet the person. Because it was such a tiny team that you could just, everybody's doing everything. So go download an NDA template from an, a, a reputable source and off you go at the time, five-person company. And we are, we have the luxury of having some of the entrepreneurial flexibility and, and freedom within the company, whilst also having all the resources of a very large company that we're surrounded by. And that comes, of course, with responsibilities as well. But I would say, if you like growing and flexing new muscles, this is a good place in both directions, both becoming more technical or becoming more savvy at the surrounding and pitching part of AI. And it's not a great place to coast because A, if you're coasting, you're going downhill. And B, we're such a small team, there's really no, no spot here to hide or coast. Because <laughs> I will ask everybody on the team at least once a week for a pitch for sizing of their opportunity, for summarizing what they did in a business-friendly language, for projecting out next week and next month what they're going to get done. And often in business, the name of the game in innovation is that you cannot know with definitive certainty, but you can project and you can guess and you can guesstimate. And you have to get more comfortable with that as it is the nature of the beast, right? So we, we don't have two-year project rollout maps for large enterprise models. We have, uh, of course, a, a cadence and a procedure for getting them operationalized safely. But uh, if you like predictability, not a great place. If you're okay with ambiguity, a very good place. And if you can get the most out of every experience, uncomfortable or not, then it's a really great place to be. Bjorn, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your own journey and your story and giving us a great insight into the AI and data team at Truist. We sure. You, the My team, pleasure. And everyone at, at Truist, the best of the months and years to come. And look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Oldest Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com, to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.